Chapter Five, The Professor's Unknown Land, of the Lost City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lost City, by Joseph E. Badger Jr. Chapter Five, The Professor's Unknown Land. There was neither time nor opportunity for taking notes, for that long rope straightened out in the fraction of a second, throwing all prostrate as the flying machine was jerked upward with awful force. All around them raged and roared the mighty winds, while missiles of almost every description pelted and pounded both machine and inmates during those few seconds of extraordinary peril. Fortunately, Neither the professor nor his nephews could fairly realize just what was taking place, else their brains would hardly have stood the test, and fortunately, too, that ordeal was not protracted. A hideous experience while it lasted, those vicious currents dragging the aerostat upward out of the air-chamber by means of grapnel and rope, then casting all far away in company with erect trees and bushes and even solider materials, all shrouded for a time in dust and debris, which hindered the eyesight of both uncle and nephews. Through it all the brothers were dimly aware of one fact. Uncle Phaeton was shrilly bidding them cling fast and have courage. All at once they felt as though vomited forth from a volcano which alternately breathed fire and ice, the clear light of evening bursting upon their aching, smarting eyes with actual pain, while that horrid roar of warring elements seemed to pass away in the distance, leaving them where and how. "'We're falling to—merciful heavens! Hold fast, all!' screamed the professor, desperately striving to regain full command of their airship. "'The tiller is jammed, but—' To all seeming, the aerostat had sustained some fatal damage during that brief eruption caused by the professor's little experiment, for it was pitching drunkenly, end for end, refusing to obey the hand of its builder, bearing all to certain death upon the earth far below. Half stupefied with fear, the brothers clung fast to the lifeline and glared downward, noting, in spite of themselves, how swiftly yonder dark treetops and grey crags were shooting heavenward to meet them and claim the sacrifice. With fierce energy Professor Featherwit jerked and wrenched at the steering gear, uttering words such as had long been foreign to his lips, but then, just when destruction appeared inevitable, a wild cry burst from his lungs as a broken bit of native wood came away in his left hand, leaving the lever free as of old. And then, with a dizzying swoop and rapid recovery, the gallant airship came back to an even keel, sailing along with old-time grace and ease, barely in time to avoid worse mishap as the crest of a tall tree was brushed in their passage. Saved! "'Saved, my lads!' screamed the professor, as his heart pet soared upward once more, until well past the danger-line. "'Safe and sound through all, praises be unto the Lord our Father!' Neither brother spoke just then, for they lay there in half-stupor, barely able to realize the wondrous truth— 
that their lives had surely been spared them, even as by a miracle. That swooping turn now brought their faces towards the tornado, which was at least a couple of miles distant, rapidly making that distance greater even while continuing its work of destruction. "'And we were in it!' huskily muttered Bruno, his lids closing with a shiver as he averted his face, unwilling to see more. "'A heap sight worse than being in the soup, too, if anybody asks you,' declared Waldo, beginning to rally both in strength and in spirit. "'But what's the matter with the old ship, Uncle Phaeton?' For the aerostat was indulging itself in sundry, distressing gyrations, pretty much as a boy's kite swoops from side to side when lacking in tail ballast, while the professor seemed unable to keep the machine under complete control. "'Nothing serious, only—hold fast, all. I believe twould be as well to make our descent, for fear something—steady!' Just ahead there appeared a more than usually open space in the forest, and, quite as much by good luck as through actual skill, Professor Featherwit succeeded in making a landing with no more serious mishap than sundry bruises and a little extra teeth-jarring. As quickly as possible, both Bruno and Waldo pitched themselves out of the partially disabled aeromotor, the elder brother grasping the grapnel and taking a couple of turns of the strong rope around a convenient tree-trunk, lest the ship escape them altogether. "'No need, my gallant boy,' assured the professor an instant later. "'All is well, all is well, thanks to an overruling providence.' In spite of this expressed confidence, he hurriedly looked over his pet machine, taking note of such injuries as had been received during that remarkable journey, only giving over when fairly satisfied that all damage might be readily made good, after which the aerostat would be as trustworthy as upon its first voyage on high. Then, grasping the brothers each by a hand, he smiled genially, then lifted eyes heavenward, to a moment later sink upon his knees with bowed head and hands folded across his bosom. Bruno and Waldo imitated his action, and though no audible words were spoken, never were more heartfelt prayers sent upward, never more grateful thanks given unto the Most High. Boy, youth, and man alike seemed fairly awed into silence for the next few minutes, unable to so soon cast off the spell which had fallen upon them, one and each, when realizing how mercifully their lives had been spared, even after all earthly hope had been abandoned. As usual, however, Waldo was first to rally, and after silently moving around the aerostat, upon which the professor was already busily at work, by the last gleams of the vanished sun, he paused, legs separated, and hands thrust deep into pockets, head perking on one side as he spoke drawlingly. "'I say, Uncle Phaeton—' "'What is it, Waldo?' "'It'll never do to breathe even a hint of all this, will it?' "'Why so, pray?' Whoever heard it would swear we were bald-headed liars right from Storytown. And yet, did it really happen, or have I been dreaming all the way through? Professor Featherwit gave a brief dry chuckle at this, rising erect, to cast a deliberate glance around at their present location, then speaking. 
"'Without I am greatly mistaken, my dear boy, "'you will have still other marvellous happenings to relate "'ere we return to what is, rightfully or wrongfully called, civilization. "'Is that so? Then you really reckon?' "'For one thing, my lad, we are now fairly entered upon a terra incognita, "'so far as our own race is concerned. "'In other words, behold the Olympics!' Both Bruno and Waldo cast their eyes around, but only a circumscribed view was theirs. The shades of evening were settling fast, and on all sides they could see but mighty trees, rugged rocks, a mountain stream from whose pebbly bed came a soothing murmur. "'Nothing so mighty much to brag of, anyway,' irreverently quoth Waldo, after that short-lived scrutiny. "'It wouldn't fetch a dollar an acre at auction!' "'And for my part, wonder when the gong will sound for supper.' That blunt hint was effective, and letting the subject drop for the time being, even the professor joined in the hurry for an evening meal, to which one and all felt able to do full justice. Although some rain had fallen at this point as well, no serious difficulty was experienced in kindling a fire, while Waldo had little trouble in heaping up a bounteous supply of fuel. Through countless ages the forest monarchs had been shedding their superfluous boughs, while here and there lay an entire tree overthrown by some unknown power, and upon which the brothers made heavy requisition. Professor Featherwit took from the locker a supply of tinned goods, together with a patent coffee-pot and frying-pan, so convenient were spaces scarce and stowage-room precious. With water from the little river it took but a few minutes more to scent the evening with grateful fumes, after which the adventurous trio squatted there in the ruddy glow, eating, sipping, chatting, now and again forced to give thanks for their really miraculous preservation, after all human hopes had been exhausted. Although Professor Featherwit was but little less thankful for the wondrous leniency shown them, he could not altogether refrain from mourning the loss of his camera, with its many snapshots at the tornado itself, to say nothing of what he might have secured in addition, while riding the storm so marvellously. More to take his thoughts away from that loss than through actual curiosity, in the subject offered by way of substitute, Bruno asked for further light upon the so-called terra incognita. "'Of course, it isn't really an unknown land, though, Uncle Phaeton,' he added, almost apologetically. "'In this age and upon our own continent, such a thing is among the impossibilities.' "'Indeed. And, pray, how long since has it been that you would, with at least equal positivity, have declared it impossible to enter a tornado while in wildest career, yet emerge from it with life and limb intact?' "'Yes, uncle, but this is different, by far.' "'In one sense, yes, in another, no,' affirmed the professor with emphatic nod, brushing the tips of his fingers together as he moved back to assume a more comfortable position inside the airship, then quickly preparing a pipe and tobacco for his regular after-meal smoke. A brief silence, then the professor spoke clearly, distinctly. "'Washington has her great unknown land quite as much as has the interior of darkest Africa, my boys, besides enjoying this peculiar advantage. 
while adventurers white men have traversed those benighted regions in every direction even though little permanent good may have been accomplished this terra incognita remains virgin in that particular sense of the word you mean uncle that here in the olympic region you see what is literally an unknown unexplored scope of country as foreign to the foot of mankind as it was countless ages gone by so far as history reads neither white man nor red has ever ventured fairly within these limits a mountainous waste which rises from the level country within ten or fifteen miles of the straits of san juan de fuca in the north the pacific ocean in the west hood's canal in the east and the barren sand hills lying to the far south this irregular range is known upon the map as the olympics and rising to the height of from six to eight thousand feet shut in a vast unexplored area the indians have never penetrated it so far as can be ascertained for their traditions say that it is inhabited by a very fierce tribe of warriors before whose might and strange weapons not one of the coast tribes can stand one of the lost tribes of israel shouldn't wander drawlingly volunteered waldo stifling a yawn and forced to rub his inflamed eyes with a surreptitious paw professor featherwit though plainly absorbed in his curious theory was yet quick to detect this evidence of weariness and laughed a bit with change of both tone and manner as he spoke further that forms but a partial introductory to my lecture dear lads but perhaps it might be as well to postpone the rest for a more propitious occasion you have undergone sore trials both of you hark some sound came to his keen ears which the brothers failed to catch but as they bent their heads in listening another noise came which proved startling enough in all conscience a shrill maniacal screech which sent cold chills running races up each spine. End of chapter 5